Hello there, thanks very much for uh, listening to this episode of Arc Reactor. Just a very quick warning up front, this episode contains spoilers right from the very start, so if you have not seen Captain America Civil War yet, please stop this podcast, go find your nearest cinema, see the film, then come back and immediately listen to this episode. Thanks very much, bye! You're listening to Arc Reactor. Concentrated reviews and analysis of all things MCU. Well, hello to a uh, slightly unusual episode of Arc Reactor in that... Um, this is entirely unscripted, as you'll be able to tell, given all the ums and ahs that will no doubt litter this particular episode. Um, I've just been to see Captain America Civil War with two lovely friends of mine, one of whom is in the room with me at the moment, may chip in, may not. Yeah. yeah. That, if you can hear him, that was Joe. Um, we, uh, the friends in question I also do another podcast with called Children of the Wilderness. It's about Doctor Who. You don't need to know about that right now. Um, but yeah, so we've just been to see uh, Captain America Civil War at the Peckhamplex, I believe. Yes. I'm visiting them here in London. Um, and a jolly good film it was too, I thought. I, um, yeah, I had a few worries going into it. Um, primarily, I was concerned about whether it would... A, feel like a Captain America film rather than Avengers film, and whether, B, it would hang together and it would be more than the sum of its parts, in that there were so many characters. I knew going into it there were going to be so many characters. They all kind of needed their own moments. You know, same as with an Avengers movie. You've got so many different characters. You want to give them all a chance to shine. Um... But that can end up feeling a bit piecemeal. That would probably be my biggest criticism of Age of Ultron was that it wasn't... There were some really fantastic scenes and extended sequences that were all standalone fantastic. But when you looked at it as as a whole, maybe it didn't quite hang together. Maybe it wasn't quite... uh, to overuse the phrase, more than the sum of its parts. So, having seen it, I think, yeah, it succeeded where Age of Ultron failed. Um, it did feel like a Captain America movie, at least to me, um, and it didn't suffer from that feeling of um, scenes feeling very isolated. It does have that sort of seems like they're making two types of films rather than sort of different phases of film. They're now making the sort of, this is a single person's film and the sprawling, literally everyone has to get a bit in it film. Mm. Like they're doing arcs in similar to the comic books, how they do the sort of the huge events. Yes, yeah. And then they also do the individual Absolutely, and of course we don't have the luxury with the films that you do with the comics where you can have solo titles that tie into the main event. Yes, yeah, so of course in, in the comics you 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 know with an event crossover event with a crossover event you might have 
uh, a few issues of a of a solo um, book that ties into the main event, but then you will also potentially have uh, a title specifically for that main event. We don't have that luxury when you're talking about like multi-million dollar budget films. Which, so, which hopefully should stop it from becoming as bloated and unnecessary as some of the... Civil War titles. Yes, yeah. There's, you know, there's, uh, there, it's potentially a blessing in disguise that they're like, okay, we're going to have this big clash of all of these heroes, but we are going to keep it well, to one film. And one airport in Germany. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so, I mean, let's talk about that scene then, that airport scene. Um, I'd heard, I, I, I've been trying very, very hard to avoid spoilers going into this, but beyond what's in the trailer, but. Um, in the sort of non-spoilery things that people had been dropping into other podcasts that they listened to and stuff, the airport scene was talked about with, you know, just they didn't give anything away, but they just said, oh man, that airport scene. Um, and yeah, it, it lived up to the hype. It was, it was an incredible It'd be sequence. Really if you, like, you got to it and that airport scene was just them going through an airport. Like, <laughs> Check all their shit into security, and uh, there's so much vibranium around in the entire film. Everyone's going to beep when they go through the thing. Oh, that's going to be awkward. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. No, fortunately, that wasn't what we got. What we got was um, that classic. It felt comic booky, like really comic booky. That you had the big splash page, you know, double page thing of just the two sides coming together. Um, and then you cut bet- between various little jewels. You've got Scarlet Witch versus Vision. You've got um, you've got Hawkeye versus Iron Man at one point, which in quite an awesome moment. But yeah, I would say actually, speaking of that Hawkeye moment, this is probably Hawkeye's best film to date so far. I think he's been very poorly served by a lot of what he was, uh, what he's had in previous films. If you look at like, he had a tiny cameo in Thor where he gets to look at a bow and arrow but not actually fire one. And what does he not actually use his bow and arrow? No, no, he 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 trains his arrow on and then gets told to stand down by Coulson at the last moment. So that's <laughs> that's all we got in Thor. He doesn't show up again until Avengers. Um, and is brainwashed within five minutes of that film and then spends um, the next two acts of the movie as effectively a pawn of Loki's. Um, Age of Ultron was obviously... um, His role in that um, sort of first Avengers film very much reminds me of Captain Black in Captain Scarlet. He just sort of has to be doing an evil version of a generic agent. Yeah, yeah. Um, Age of Ultron, we got the sort of... It was it was better, and obviously it was an attempt, I think, by Joss Whedon to redress the balance a bit and give Hawkeye more of a pivotal role. But unfortunately, yeah, that did involve them... Concerns. Yeah. <laughs> more going on. Yeah. Just dedicate the entire thing to... <laughs> But for sheer, just like Hawkeye being Hawkeye, so far, he's, I think yeah, he's, he's not like Joss Whedon's main contribution to him as a character in that was saying that his real superpower is having a very healthy home life. And yeah, to maintain a work-life balance. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of nice just to see him 
being, you know, a smarmy dick with arrows, which at his core is what that character is and what makes him so great. <laughs> um, and then being a grumpy dick without arrows. Yeah. <laughs> he really misses those arrows. He doesn't like to be separated from them. Yeah, it's realistically... It's a huge part of his core identity. <laughs> they're, they're a safety blanket. <laughs> a sharp... So one of the one of my other big concerns going into it with all of these moving pieces, all of these characters to serve, was the fact that going, knowing that we were being introduced to two new major players in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, namely Spider-Man and Black Panther. Um, both were going to be tricky to introduce for different reasons. In the case of Spider-Man, how do you introduce it in a way that is organic but without just retreading the origin. But also whilst acknowledging that like more American school children know the origin of Spider Man than know the origin of the United States. <laughs> exactly. Like they think that George Washington yeah. was bitten by a radioactive flag and founded America. Exactly. And I'm so glad that they just went with the route of like, hey guys, you already know this. We don't need to tell you. Like that because yeah, for the, it, Spider-Man is like their Robin Hood, effectively. Yeah. You don't you don't need to go out of your way to explain legend. the thing. Yeah, exactly. He's a folk, folk legend. So basically, if we're watching a film and some guy turns out, uh, up and he's got like a green peaked cap with a feather sticking out of it and a pair, and a bow some bow and arrows, we're like, oh, there's Robin Hood. That's all we need what to know. ポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットティーザーポストクレディットポストクレディットティーザーポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットポストクレディットポ
like that guy, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, God, that was incredible. Like a young Robert. I yeah. I guess they probably have loads of young Robert Downey Jr. footage. That they, they can, can certainly use that as reference, they can if nothing just, else. Like, make yeah. him look exactly like that. But. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, I, I felt like that was showing off. They'd, get, they'd received a lot of praise, and rightly so, for, for doing it with... Um, was it Michael Douglas uh, in Ant-Man? And, um, yeah, and That's that was quite that, impressive. Up but until now, that was the least shit we've seen. That yeah, week. but that, that, that uh, Downey scene was just astonishing. Um, so, yeah, uh, and uh, so the other... They just tried to make it, or make the dialogue out of like cut up bits of lines from his early films <laughs> that would have been fun yeah that yeah that would that, I'm sure they could have done that seamlessly just like have, <laughs> just cut all of his lines out of the runaways or something <laughs> <laughs> kids kids bang back yeah. <laughs> uh, the, yes um, so the other character of course that was introduced in this film was Black Panther and for wholly different reasons, that's going to be a challenging thing. Because Black Panther, whilst known to comics fans, completely unknown. Never never really been featured in any major capacity in film, in film animation, TV, anything. They're just, um, just not a character that has had a great deal of cultural penetration um and they, they don't even try and do origin no they is, don't they they spared that aren't they yeah which is good because they know they're going to have a film that they can do that in exactly we really only get it we only get a taste of him here i mean right well he's got several scenes but but they don't really go into any great depth we you know we learn that obviously he is a prince and then by the end of the film a king um of this country wakanda we know we know from in fact it was set up in Age of Ultron, uh, Wakanda is like the main exporter of vibranium. We know that they've got vibranium coming out of their ass. Exactly. Everything in Wakanda is vibranium. Yeah, they just you know they don't they don't even value it there. They're just like you know they just children to play with. Exactly. They 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 feed it to their dogs. They. Their dogs take vibranium shits with like shing. Yeah. Just indestructible shits. I mean, there's really. They've not thought that through at all. What, I mean, what are you going to do with all of that vibranium dog shit lying around that you it's, just literally can't destroy? It's interesting, though. We were talking on the way out that they maintained the fictional countries, which is, if they ever get mm. Fantastic Four back, means Doctor Doom's exclusively evil country might be making a... Oh, you mean Latveria? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is Doom's basically... Transylvania surrogate... <laughs> Effectively, yes, it's just like uh, a, a kind of medieval Europe mm. where where everyone is either evil or happens. just some kind of serf. Yeah, <laughs> like the um, I I like that they did it, and uh, it, there's a couple of like because obviously like Marvel has pretty much mm. real cities for the most part. Yes, like countries DC has uh, made up cities. But real countries. Yeah, I've never looked at it that way, but that's I that's kind of true. Yeah, with the exception of Africa, like mm. DC, John Stewart, the Green Lantern, the the Black Green yeah. Lantern, came from a fictional African country that was like a surrogate for a a, um, a stand-in for apartheid mm. South Africa. Yeah, 
but like yeah I like that Wakanda is going to potentially have its own sort of isolated culture a absolutely bit like Latveria because it seems to be well, they're implying the, they don't actually talk to the rest of the mm, world yeah I mean Wakanda in the comics is a fascinating example because it's basically an example of Afrofuturism yeah. wherein their their technology is kind of leagues ahead of anywhere else because they've got this kind of they've got some absolute super geniuses, but they just kind of keep it to themselves. Um, and they've, you know, up until this point, they had very minimal contact with the rest of the world. Um, Which is going to be an interesting so, thing for them to tackle. Exactly. So ba- basically, you've got, you know, you, I, um, Wakanda as a place. I, I can't wait to see that on screen. I can't wait to see that sort of, you know, African jungle rubbing shoulders with kind of an almost utopian, utopian sci-fi, sci-fi exactly yeah that's going to be pretty special and, and, and especially given the general treatment of africa in film which whilst often very kind of often can be nuanced but and mm. sometimes you get things like uh i remember oh god was it district district nine district nine I, yeah at the time when i saw that i was working with a lot of people from Zimbabwe, South Africa, but also North Africa, and they saw it and were actually kind of offended because there are a lot of African stereotypes, mm. like all the Nigerians are gangsters, all <laughs> of the kind of um, white South Africans are sort of either kind of evil or noble. There's no sort mm. of uh, yeah. There was a there's a thing the treatment of Af- and I think Idris Elba's in something soon, but yeah. So the, it'd be interesting to see how they. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, f- I feel like they nailed his character in that. In that, um, T'Challa as a character, he's not a barrel of laughs, no. <laughs> and that kind of, and that came across very effectively. He's I think fighting with someone and someone like Hawkeye introduced himself. He's like, I don't care. Exactly, and that was that was that was kind of, and th- that was the moment that that kind of nailed it for me because mm-hmm. I was like, that's perfect for for T'Challa because it was a funny line. Yeah. But it wasn't that he was wisecracking. It was it was just that like, as ever, one of the things that I think makes the Marvel Cinematic Universe as great as it is is that they've just nailed the casting, mm. which they've done ever since since who's day actor, one. Who's the actor who's playing? Um... Uh, Chadwick Boseman okay. is playing uh, Black Panther. I haven't seen him in a, in. Anything else? I don't think, to be honest, because I'm an uncultured yob. But um, but yeah, he's quite. From what I've been hearing, he's quite a method actor. Like he he would stay. He'd keep the accent like all the time he was on set, and uh, you know he. So he's quite a serious, focused actor, and he's playing quite a serious, focused character. So you know, perfect. And likewise, Tom Holland playing Spider Man. Well, thank God they finally. They've cast a child yeah. to play a child. You wouldn't have thought it would be so not, difficult, not but a thirty-five-year-old man who looks like a child. It's <laughs> <laughs> Toby Maguire's gift and mm. curse that he will always look about twelve. Yeah, I. It's um, so I feel like they've nailed that casting there. I, my other big concern that I want to specifically mention before I wrap this up, and I don't, and I do want to wrap this up because I don't want this to go on too long. Um, because I'm, I am planning. I will do a a more. 
considered review at some point, possibly after if I get a chance to see the film again, uh, which hopefully I will. Um, but yeah, the other big concern that I had going in uh, was Baron Zemo, uh, who was this going to be yet another example of a Marvel villain kind of being sidelined, underused, or just a bit of a damp squib. Um, I'm not sure I've made up my mind fully on that in this case. Certainly the Baron Zemo we got is very different to the Baron Zemo of the what comics. Is, what is he in the comics? I don't... I haven't read a lot of stuff with him, but I've, you know, from sort of skimming wikis and, like, seeing him sort of pop up in smaller roles in, in Bits and Bobs, for a start... His costume, he's got a brilliant costume. He's got like a full mask, um, like a purple mask, which I seem to recall reading like is permanently attached to his face um, and is one of the things that he has a big chip on his shoulder about, yeah. which would actually be kind of cool and interesting. Did, did, and did we not get something a little bit like that from your fellow who... From Crossbones, mask, yeah. Who Crossbones who we had, had his mask, which was, was good. to recognise, but yeah. kind of... Like, it didn't matter if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't matter at all. But, you know, just a treat for the fans. Uh, and I, I love that. Suddenly, what's it related to Peggy Carter? And it's all like. To be fair, that has already been established as. Yeah. yeah. But, um, that, yeah, that that wasn't. I can see how if, you, if you're not already kind of like doing the background reading, that kind of stuff is going to yeah. seem quite a bit kind of. Oh, well, that's convenient. But, you know. Also creepy. Yeah. Tad creepy, tad creepy. For but, like a funny moment. Yeah. They're just like sitting at the back of his car and they're just like, nice. <laughs> like, yeah, that was a great little moment. What's it? And, uh, uh, Falcon and... Fal- uh, Falcon and the Winter, Winter Soldier, Soldier just creeping. Yeah. <laughs> just be like... like a, Bless them. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, with Zemo... <sighs> I don't know. It's hard for me to come because, as I say, I've not really read much Baron Zemo from the comics. But the impression I got that he was more of like a mad general, that he was closer to a Red Skull type figure, that he would have his goons and, and stuff like that. Whereas this guy just seemed to be a lone operator with... You know, an understandable, very, very understandable chip on his shoulder in that, you know, his family got killed. And um, I got, he, he, was a, he was an effective antagonist, but I'm not sure whether it, he was Baron Zemo. That's that's the thing to me, and that seems like maybe a waste. Like maybe they're playing the long game with him, you know. I, I like that actor. He, yeah, fella from Goodbye Lenin, the German actor. Oh God, is he from Goodbye? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've not seen that film in such a long time. It's a yeah. it's a lovely little film. So and yeah, he's in a bunch of stuff. He's ah. always fantastic. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. It was a great performance, and I think he gave he with the material he was given, he gave it all he could um and i will say that like his story and his actions were were seeded very effectively through the film and like it it helped to make it feel like a cohesive piece it didn't feel like a separate battle going on separate to the to the civil war debate it was all very nicely stitched together and it felt very cohesive but i'm just not sure 
we got enough of him or not enough of a sense of what kind of a threat he's going to be going forward if he is indeed going to continue to be a threat. Um, so I think it's too early to say whether Baron Zemo, whether we, we, we file him next to Malekith or Kingpin, where he is on that scale. Um, it's I'm, you know, I'm going to struggle to think of criticisms beyond that off the top of my head because I was just sat there for two and a half hours with just an enormous grin on my face to the point that my face kind of hurts now, um, which, which I think probably reached its apex um, with the reveal of Giant Man. Uh, which is, you know, Ant Man only big, yeah. which was so cool. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as someone who I think probably liked Ant Man more than anyone else I've ever spoken to, mm-hmm. like I, I super loved Ant Man as a film, and um, so I just I'm a sucker for for any time that Paul Rudd was on screen, frankly. But that was such a cool moment. Um, and obviously sets up the potential for more such shenanigans in uh, the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie that is uh, happening fairly soon, actually, I think. Like, within the next couple of years, I think, we're getting that. That's what we're calling soon now, is it? That's well... Soon has changed. <laughs> when you think about how many bloody movies they're having to churn yeah. out... Um, now they've got to give Aunt May her own series. <laughs> you do know, of... actually, you, you, you joke about that. There was a time before before Sony struck the deal with Marvel, mm. they were discussing ways to spin their S- Spider-Man movie rights into a full-scale cinematic universe a la Marvel. And one of the things that they were discussing doing cool. was an Aunt May movie in which she's like a spy in the 40s, like Peggy Carter. <laughs> God, like a little parasite universe yeah. living off of the like a, like when you get a bubble on a bubble. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Living <laughs> off of the, and then when the Marvel bubble inevitably sort of pops or sort of deflates, <laughs> then their bubble is yeah. just sort of. That's what you're left with 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 a sequel to the Aunt May movie that yeah. no one liked. So thank thank goodness we don't live in the parallel universe where that happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> guess all of those concessions they made to Sony product placement in the Guardians of the Galaxy were worth something. <laughs> Indeed. So the one last thing that I did want to, to consider was whether there are enough consequences. Um, first of all, consequences of what went down in Age of Ultron being played out in this film and whether where we, where we leave things, whether it felt like enough like the stakes were high enough. I, I guess they tend to do that in so in both the Avengers films. They tend to have done that by having people, extras and crowds watching screens and going like, "Oh no!" Mm. Or like having sort of cut to a family at home watching tele- the news on television, and it's all that's how they try and give you a proxy for real world consequences yeah. within this. Yeah, but they didn't do any of that really. <laughs> they didn't have no. Any, you literally was. They didn't have any time for anyone who wasn't a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was thinking also in terms of like consequences for the for the superheroes themselves as well. Because if you think about um, 
the conclusion for um, the Civil War comics, and obviously spoilers for the comics if you've not read them or if you don't want to know about that, but, you know, they've been out for a while. Uh, but basically, that Civil, the Civil War storyline in the comics concludes with the death of Captain America. Mm. Now, obviously, we didn't get that here. Nor did we Which get... It also eventually leads to having a black Captain America, mm. doesn't it? Yes, yeah, well, Falcon takes up the mantle yeah, of Captain America, which what could potentially have been what happened here, but obviously didn't. Uh, likewise, there was some speculation that what if Cap's not going to die, does Iron Man die? And again, no, didn't get that. Um, also, like the, the Winter Soldier killed your parents thing. That's, um, that's pretty... I don't know... I don't think that's been teased at any point at all. I don't think we've given, been given much information at all on how Howard Stark died, have we? I think, actually... Oh, I'm racking my brains to think where it was. It was either something in... I think it was probably something in Winter Soldier yeah. where there is some... I don't. It's just like it's a, it's a file or a newspaper or something where, where it just mentions the, the, the accident and there's some kind of implication that maybe it was the Winter Soldier that perpetrated it. But you're right that that hasn't really... It's not been, like, teased in any kind of major way. Um, I, I wasn't... I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that Captain America knew... And yeah, did. I didn't. I didn't either, actually. To be honest, so I, I did kind of think, well, when, when did they have that conversation? Or was it a case that he just kind of knew in his gut, but he put oh, the pieces right. together himself, uh, but had, didn't want to confront it, so he didn't raise it either with Bucky or with uh, Tony. Yeah, that's maybe not really an appropriate time to bring that up, is there? No, not really, not really. Um, but yeah, so. <sighs> Overall, it uh, this film made me very happy. It it really did. Like, there's so much good stuff. I mean, I've not even mentioned Scarlet Witch and Vision. I love that they're taking a cue from the comic books there and and kind of setting up a potential relationship there. And just just the Vision being like a stay at home dad, just sort of plodding around with his little pullover on. He's got a little whisker. <laughs> Yeah, no, like a, a oh yeah, a sweater vest. Yeah, oh, it's Things. it's it's adorable. I love it. I could I could I could quite happily watch two hours of Scarlet Witch and Vision just you know padding around the Avengers compound. <laughs> domestic. Yeah, life. just 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 cooking meals, watching a bit of Netflix. That would be delightful. <laughs> um, sad. Of course, we're not going to get that film, no. but. The little glimpses that we got were fantastic, and I'm I'm really he, excited for where that goes. It was difficult to reconcile the vision in this film with who, like the sort of messianic fixing everything role he played in the previous <laughs> Avengers film. Sort of like I love that. Like we... How do you how do you follow that realistically? Mm. I suppose, but. I just feel like, you know, we, we, we're starting to see him grow and, and adapt to life as a, a, as a superhuman being. Like, a, a, in, the, in the very literal sense, in that he is kind of, like, elevated from humanity. He's kind of like a rough facsimile of a human, but, you know, he is removed from humanity um, in a fundamental way. 
And so seeing him kind of deal with that because he didn't have time to deal with that in Age of Ultron. You know, there's that brilliant line at the end of the movie where it says, well, I was born yesterday. <laughs> you know, he's, he's literally two days old when we see him in that film. So, and even at this point, it's what, what a, at most a year later. And um, yeah, he's still obviously kind of adjusting and figuring out what it means to be who he is in a world where there is no one else. Like him, yeah. <laughs> it's it's become a, like that's an important part of his personality now. Is wearing adorable sweater vests. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, on that note, I feel like uh, I should wrap this up because we've gone way longer than I was anticipating. Actually. Um, that's right. So, yeah. Th- <laughs> thanks, Joe. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, and. Um, yeah, I'm gonna hopefully see see this film at least one more time, maybe even a couple more times. Uh, you know, depending on how things shake out, and at some point I will put pen to paper and give some slightly more considered uh, reactions, and maybe kind of tease out some of the themes in a little more detail. Um, but for now. This has been Arc Reactor. I've been David Edwards. Thank you very much for listening. See you again soon.